Welcome to the Life Church St. Peter's Message of the Week. We hope you're encouraged by today's message and encounter God's heart through it. To find out more about us, visit lifechurchstpeters.com. So I just wanted to read a little first. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you've requested. So the Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptian for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people and they gave them what they asked for. So they plundered the Egyptians. A little further in the story, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? They're trapped between the army and the Red Sea. Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Then the angel of God had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew, and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. So that's a beautiful story of deliverance. So now we'll go uh, to kind of... Uh, to the end of that chapter. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that, so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeting toward it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. So complete deliverance. There was nobody left to come after them. You go to Joshua, right? That's coming out of captivity, but now going into the promised land. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan at its flood stage is at its flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the waters flowing down to the sea, the Dead Sea was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So you have powerful story of deliverance, powerful story of preparing to take ground. Yes. They were going towards Jericho. That's why they crossed, right? Coming into the promised land where they were supposed to drive out the enemy from what the Lord had given them. Yes. So Exodus is deliverance. I just wanted to point out a few things that, that God showed me in preparation for this. I, I, um, I am not a theologian. I am not even a, a Bible scholar. So if I've got some of this wrong, just like just listen for, for what my heart's saying based on what the Holy Spirit showed me, not that I'm exactly getting everything right. Is that okay? Yes. Okay. I really appreciate it. 
So when you think about the first story, the treasure that the Egyptians carried out was unearned. They put the, the gold and the silver from the Egyptians on their body. That's deliverance, right? You didn't earn this. I'm not only setting you free, I'm giving you provision for your journey. And you put it on your bodies and you carry it out. The second thing is there's protection there. That fire, the pillar of fire that had been leading, comes around the back. I wish I could see it sweeping back. That would be so cool. Behind them, separating from the enemy. You're saved. You're protected. Deliverance has that. I'm cutting you off from that. That's your protection. And then there's an intercessor. It's really interesting. He, you know, God's saying, quit crying out. You know, put the staff over the water. All night long, the wind comes to drive that water back and pile it up. Because that intercessor is standing there with the staff all night long while this happens. So I just want to contrast that idea of deliverance with the idea of taking ground. So we'll look at the same, thing, same elements are there, but this time in the taking ground side, that unearned treasure is now, through those 40 years, has been taken off the body and given and put on that Ark of the Covenant. So that treasure that was given to them is now freely given and it's in its rightful place. Right. Yeah. Where the presence of God is moving. That's where the gold is. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Also, there's power here. There's the difference between protection and power. That Ark of the Covenant was God's presence and it's no longer in the back separated from them and separating them. It's in the middle, in the midst of the people. It stayed right in the middle of that river while they crossed. God's presence, it, Christ in us, in the people, in the midst. And then, like royal priesthood, right? Think about this, because same God's parting waters, right? But he does it so differently. The first time, the intercessor has to stand there, right? type of Christ, and it costs them a lot to drive those waters back. But now that the presence of God is in the people, as soon as the foot touched the water, started piling up a long way off, and they just walked through on dry ground. In us, for others, is power. So, I'm asking you to remember that we're delivered from something for something. Yes. Your deliverance is because you're supposed to, at the right time, take ground. What God did to deliver you is different from how he's going to use you to take ground. It's supposed to be different. So, if we just change our mindset from deliverance, which is awesome and amazing and wonderful, and thank God that he does that for us. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done to deliver us from. Yeah. But the purpose, the kingdom, what Jesus asks us to do with that deliverance is to take ground for his kingdom. Yes. Yeah. And just remember this, that our time, our treasure, and our talents are put to use for that cause. 
we're supposed to put the gold in the right spot yeah. where we are taking ground, where the presence of God is leading us. Christ in us for others. We move, he moves. Yes. Right? Yes. We hear this scripture a lot here, rightfully so. Isaiah 43, 19. See, or behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. We hear that a lot, kind of coupled with the idea of it's, do you perceive it? It's kind of, is it going to look the same as it looks in the past? What God's doing, where he's moving, our part in that? Will it look the same? Will we recognize it? So I want to say one of the places that I see God moving and what he showed me clearly. I'm not saying it's the only one. But he is doing something in our country in the lives of families. Families are coming to us, the church. Yes, life church, but the church. They're coming to us and they need us. That doesn't look like what's happened in the past. That doesn't look like revivals in the past. Desperate families coming to us for help. They are realizing culture doesn't have the answers for them. Right? It's always claimed to. And the more you go, the more you progress down that path of, of we, if we could just do this, then it would be right. They're realizing those answers aren't there. And it is becoming obvious, painfully obvious to parents. So you remember, things get darker so that your light can shine brighter, right? That we, we don't think things get darker and, and almost overcome. No, the reason they get darker is so... Your light can shine brighter they say they can see. There's this idea of this pendulum, right? It's swung over here so far as an attack on the family that the light over on this end is bright right now. And there's, there is so much opportunity there. They've said gender is fluid. Monogamy and heterosexuality are boring. Body image is everything. Moms have to be perfect. If they're not, maybe they weren't ready to be moms. Masculinity is toxic. When there's no identity, you are going to see depression. You are going to see suicide. You are going to see the opposite of hope. If there's nothing good and I was believing all this stuff and it's not working. What do I do now? Hope is here. They're desperate and they're not looking for judgment. They're looking for help. It didn't work. It's not working. What I was chasing isn't there. And at the end of the road, there's nothing. Guess what we have? 
Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Dana. That's always the right answer. That's true. I'm going to just scratch that out. <laughs> Jesus is here. A strong culture of prayer is here because of Jesus. Rooted in hope is here because of Jesus. Life Tots is here. Life Kids is here. Life 129 Youth Group is here. Marriage help is here. Parenting help is here. Help with finances is here. Fourth Friday is here. As silly as that is, well, I'm not going to get off track. This is the scripture that 129 youth is founded on, right? 1 Peter 2.9. And I think I put it up there. You're a chosen people. You didn't just happen to be here. A royal priesthood. Your feet touch the water and it just has to get out of the way. A holy nation. God's special possession. So that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his light. Yes. Amen. Trade no identity for that identity. Who doesn't want that? So I just wanted to look at, first of all, I think we're a church that's very, very well positioned to love generously. We're good at welcoming others and empowering them to live out God's purpose for their life. We do that well here. The church does that well. We have what they need. Take a look at the first church, Acts 2, 42 through 47. What did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who needed every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We sometimes underestimate the meeting together with glad and sincere hearts. Christ is in you. So when we're worshiping God... His presence there, right? In praise and worship. Through the spoken word, through studying Bible, through prayer, God's presence is there. It is also there in eating together with glad and sincere hearts. That's what people latch on to. Kim came to me this morning and she said there is just immense power in the tangible presence of God. And that's going to amplify. That's going to get bigger. She said that to me first thing. With, with none of this. And I said, yeah, that's what we're talking about. We are the tangible presence of God. Yes. Amen. It's us. Amen. And it's through ordinary, practical things. That's what they're coming. Now back to that fourth Friday. We're playing bingo. What purpose in the kingdom could that possibly serve? A hurting family that needs answers, needs help, and is looking to us can give it. They got to trust us. And feel part of us before they're going to get that. Before they can receive that. So we're purposefully doing things that they can come and casually integrate themselves and latch onto and get to know us. That's a 
big deal. Glad and sincere hearts forms the bonds that the power of God through us gets to flow into those families and heal them. It's, a, it's the opportunity we have right now is just ridiculous. We've never had this. I'm going into work the other day. I'm, I'm following this lady in the door in uh, the back of her shirt. It's kind of got like a big words and stuff and a pair of cowboy boots on it. And it says this, I want to be the kind of woman that when my boots hit the floor in the morning, the devil says, oh no, she's up. And it was clever, but it got me thinking, what actually scares him? Praising and worship is important. That's when we tell God who he is and we're created for worship. I don't know that that scares him. Even the demons say and know who he is, proclaim who he is. It's good. It's something we should do because he's worthy of it. But I don't know that that scares him. Preaching the word meeting together, I don't know that scares him, although it's truth and he hates that because it's the lie. I think what scares him, I think the boots that scare him the most when they hit their ground are, are Lauren's. I'm practically going to just speak into lives and speak identity and tell them who they are and change it. Someone is not, she's not going to judge you. You won't feel that. All you'll feel is love and acceptance and help. Yes. I think Angie Mauer's boots are loud. Yes. The glad and sincere heart. Right, that loving boldly. Yes, yes. Yeah. Amen. Serving with humility. The fact that there's people working in cooperation with other churches, giving generously of their time, talents, and treasures for the glory of the kingdom of God. Yes. That practical thing, I think that's what he's scared of. Amen. Because yeah. it just a snatch those people right out of his claws and put them where they can never come out of again in God's hands when they know their identity and they know there's a better way because it's been told it's not a better way. It's full of fear and it's full of hate. That's what they've been told. But when this is so bad, they go, maybe it's not. And that's our chance to be showing them practically, you're right, it's better. Tom mentioned that there is uh, things going on in the government that many have been praying for for over 50 years. And it looks likely that we'll get a really good answer there. Things we've been praying for, believing for, some fighting for. But now what? It's great, but now what do we do as a church? Our time of praying for deliverance for this country on that topic, I believe that time is at an end. 
I believe that prayer has been answered. I've been, we believe we've been delivered along that dimension. Now what? Now it's actually time to move into a different phase where our time, our talents, and our treasures are brought to bear on what needs to happen next, on the ground that needs to be taken. The other side of the coin is preparing. They see it coming and they are getting prepared. How can we make sure that this continues as fast and as much as it can? They're ready to point the finger at you and say, happy now? You got what you wanted. Look at what it's cost us. What if we're preparing better? What if we're being so practical about the help we bring and where we use our time, talents, and treasure that we're better prepared to care for those families, those women, those babies, to where they have it better than others? What if there was free childcare? What if there was help, money, diapers, food? All the things, what if the church goes, we got this. This is our job, that's why we're here. And what if our feet just touch that water and we just truck on in to what we're being called to do, take ground? What if every church did that? Every single one? Yes. There were some feet that were first to hit that water. Somebody's sandal hit it first. Then everybody came through. Everybody. They all crossed over. And what happened next? Defied description. Things that shouldn't have been able to be done. Strongholds that shouldn't have been able to be torn down. Ground that shouldn't have been being able to take it. It shouldn't have worked. And it did. They were taking ground. Presence of God. Fighting their battles. Pulling down walls. They didn't even touch. We move, he moves. God is doing a new thing. Yeah. Amen. So when I think of something and it's daunting, my daughter is like, I have to give up, get a speech in front of my class, and, it's, 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 and I'm worried that I, I will like cry during the middle of it for no reason. I'm like, I don't know where you would get that. <laughs> but she really, she's worried about that. And so we talk and I go, There are multiple outcomes. One is terrible. Then you will fail and you'll be embarrassed and you'll be humiliated. Your brain's gonna supply that version. You don't need to go find it. There's another outcome. The other outcome is you do so well that people are like, holy cow, where'd this come from? Who's this girl? That was amazing. I hope I can do mine like hers. Good job, Evelyn. Both outcomes are possible. Your brain supplies one. Your flesh supplies one. Hope and faith supplies the other. The crazy thing is if we're 
if we're picturing that one on purpose, through hope, through our eyes of faith, it actually becomes the more likely one. Where you spend what you spend your time because you would prepare differently. One preparing goes, don't fail, don't fail, don't fail. The other one is, this is going to be good. I got, ooh, I got a good one. I'm going to show the Jared video. That'll get him. (laughs) The other version, you actually get excited about that outcome. You actually get invested in that outcome. It actually becomes worth, worth it to stay up late and to put more work in and to put your time and your treasure and your talents into it because you can see how amazing it's going to be. When they go, happy now, look it up. Oh my gosh, you're taking care of it brilliantly. And we, the church, is applauded by the world. Loudly, obnoxiously. Gosh, that's going to be good. I can't wait to be over there going, yeah, we had it. Thank you. Did you think we wouldn't? Like, it's going to be so good. So I'm not standing up here saying I know what part we'll play. Not just along that dimension, but all the families hurting for all of the reasons coming and finding help and hope. And the world having to go, okay, they're doing a great job. The name of Jesus is not as bad as we thought. It's lifted high. It's lifted proudly. And there's hope there. Let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for the mothers in this room, the amazing job that they do for this day that we get to honor them. But we just, we come to you and say, thank you for being you. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Holy Spirit, thank you for never giving up on this world, that your power is here and it's real and it's inside of us. We thank you that it's you that when our feet touch the water, you just say, oh, my time to act and bam, that's who you are. That's why Jesus couldn't wait for you to come. The fact that you see Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning, and you know this earth is nothing but his footstool. So we just say we trust you, like Rick said. Not some truth we heard, but but truth we see. Truth is someone. Truth is you. Power is you. You are the author of history. You control. You're sovereign. You're supreme. No one can contest your rule. You'll always win. You'll never fail. And we just say we see that. We believe that. We lean into that. We can't wait for you and us to move together to take ground. We're ready. We're not scared. The mindset is shifted. And we know that time is right now. And we dig in. We say thank you for involving us. Thank you for being powerful. Thank you for being the winner. The victory is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out the Life Church St. Peter's Message of the Week. For more podcasts and additional information, visit us at lifechurchstpeters.com.